0: Can philosophical thinking open a new era of being? Could a philosophical revolution, even more than a political revolution, be the most promising harbinger of transformation away from inauthentic self-alienation and toward more authentic experiences of self and society? At what is perhaps its most abstract, in the area of philosophical inquiry known as ontology, the study of being, Could philosophy actually be the single most important human practice as the practice and task of thinking for a 21st century renewal of humanity? This is Philosophy for the People. I'm your host, Nathan Wiley, here with producer Nick Cook. Hello. In today's episode, we will be discussing experimental metaphysics how Martin Heidegger's ontology of event marks a revolution in philosophical thought that could, in turn, help to transform history. With us to talk about Heidegger's ontology is professor of philosophy, Dr. James Bajo. Dr. Bajo, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Now, Dr. Bajo, you have recently written a book on Heidegger's Ontology of Event, and that's the title of it, Heidegger's Ontology of Event. I've gotten to read some chapters.
1: Events plural. Uh, One of the central arguments of the book is that in contrast to most of the uh, scholarship that's available out there, there are actually two important concepts of event in uh, active in Heidegger's uh, work not just one like, uh, like a lot of people have suggested in the past.
0: Mm, yes, yes. So Heidegger's Ontology of Events, and it's very well written, very well argued. A very, actually, you know, as far as Heidegger's scholarship is concerned, compared to about, uh, with a, a lot of what's out there, Heidegger is a notoriously obscure thinker, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, the scholarship on Heidegger can similarly be very uh, obscure, but uh, in contrast to some some of what's out there. This is a, a very clear and, and well-organized uh, and well-written book. And that book will be available on Amazon as well as on Edinburgh University Press website. So keep an eye out for that. Now, you argue in, in the book, in chapter two, uh, among other things, and we're, we're going to get to the, some of those other things as well, but you argue that according to Heidegger, human existence is shaped by the unique historical frameworks given to it by philosophy, specifically metaphysics, and that essentially a transformation of the philosophical or metaphysical framework can contribute to a corresponding transformation in human existence itself. Such a transformation would entail more than merely a modification of our individual behaviors or social organization, though these might be derivatively transformed as well. It would entail rather a radically different framework for the intellectual and practical lives of human beings, transforming our very ontological status as beings of a particular sort who understand ourselves in particular ways and could ultimately become less alienated from ourselves. Now for such a transformation to occur would require an historical event, and event here is a key word to understanding Heidegger. Specifically, Heidegger talks about an event of rupture and how we think about the nature of being as such, that is a metaphysical rupture. All right. There's a lot to unpack there, mm-hmm. but, uh, but Dr. Bajo, mm-hmm. could you get us kicked off uh, by talking a little about how Heidegger understands human existence to be framed by this particular form of philosophy called metaphysics? And how metaphysics might be done otherwise or perhaps uh, done away with altogether?
1: Yeah, sure. So it's a great question. And um, anybody who's uh, taken a look at a little bit of Heidegger knows that uh, one of the critical, one of the central targets of his criticism through a lot of his writing is what he calls metaphysics. Now, the question of what exactly metaphysics is in his conception is uh, an interesting one and one that's definitely been debated quite a lot in scholarship. Uh, But there are at least a few different important registers uh, for defining this term and its uh, mode of activity within human life uh, as we know it, say, today, for example. The first uh, is really that metaphysics is a particular way of understanding the nature of being and, in turn, the nature of human existence that has its roots in, in specific conceptual innovations that were introduced in ancient Greek philosophy, especially Aristotle and Plato, but uh, not entirely limited to them. Um, part of the idea here is that uh, the, the work done by Plato and Aristotle gave us an orientation to thinking about philosophy and thinking about reality, where the prime question that we were interested in trying to ask is something like, oftentimes, uh, what is a thing, or what is a being, or more specifically, uh, what is this particular type of a being? Maybe we ask about what the type, uh, uh, what the nature of physical beings are like, or what the nature of uh, artistic works are like, or what the nature of human existence is like. But we're asking the question of what is a being uh, in its distinctive uh, form of existence. Now, Heidegger thinks that by orienting our inquiry into philosophy by that type of a question, right, there are lots of really good ideas that are produced, but we also eclipse uh, other important features of reality that we should also be paying attention to. The issue is that uh, since since, since ancient Greek philosophy, according to Heidegger, this type of a question and a whole bunch of different metaphysical commitments that went along with it ended up governing the way that human beings have thought Th- theoretically, about the nature of themselves and about the nature of reality. Now, um, that means that uh, sort of the the conceptual framework for how we understand ourselves and understand reality is grounded in this historical moment in ancient Greece, but its, uh, it's determining power uh, has continued to exert itself on the rest of history following out from then and up until, according to Heidegger at least, today and... Uh, and probably going forward, it'll keep doing that. Now, um, one of the other important registers here is uh, is that, of course, of the actual philosophical science of metaphysics, right? And Heidegger's concerned both with trying to provide a critique of the philosophical science of metaphysics, specifically targeting a whole big laundry list, really, of uh, of central commitments that metaphysics has, but also trying to critique the way that th- those types of commitments have governed the way that we understand ourselves and understand uh, being and the rest of the world that we live within historically now um, uh, part of the idea here is is again that um, that it's not simply. The fact that there is a metaphysics, that there's a science of philosophy called metaphysics that has a certain set of theoretical commitments that might be problematic that's worrying Heidegger. It's the fact that the existence of that metaphysical framework has uh, had an impact on the way that we see ourselves and see the rest of reality, um, and in fact imposed a false horizon in our understanding of, of those types of things. Now, what that means. Uh, is that for Heidegger, part of the project of doing philosophy as ontology, as he understands it, means inquiring into um, the nature of being, inquiring into the nature of ourselves in a way that starts to identify insufficiencies in those metaphysical commitments that uh, that the tradition has provided, and tries to provide a more sufficient theory of everything um, than metaphysics is able to, uh, to offer. But, and here's the real kicker, right? Uh, part of Heidegger's th- uh, theory is that when we're talking about how this all functions, what it means to be a human being is to be something that understands and, and thinks about and interprets its own existence. And that means that if we understand and interpret and think about our own existence in terms of metaphysics, we have imposed a metaphysical horizon into the way that we understand, mm-hmm. interpret, and experience our own selves. Mm-hmm. Now, if we start to to break that horizon apart through a philosophical inquiry into our own existence and into being, then, right, the project of philosophy entails not just a remedy to some of the problems that the philosophical science of metaphysics has provided for us, but it actually starts to break apart inauthentic or faulty alienated forms of our own selves mm-hmm that allow us then to, um, gain, uh, uh, or to develop, um, a more authentic state of existence, uh, of ourselves.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. And this, uh, imposed metaphysical framework, it, it doesn't merely apply to philosophy, but it permeates yeah, all aspects of human existence, all aspects of historical, practical life, right. even economic life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, you talked about—so you brought up metaphysics as a ph- philosophical uh, science, and you actually provide a list of characteristics of metaphysics mm-hmm. that Heidegger uh, wants to critique. And I'd like to go through each one of these items, actually, but before we do— yeah. Let's talk about how Heidegger first establishes his philosophical methodology of producing a rupture with metaphysics. Sure. So this yeah. methodology can be traced back to his major early work of 1927, Being and Time. But what is the fundamental task of Being and Time, and how does it lay the groundwork for an historical event of rupture within metaphysics?
1: So. The fundamental or the basic project of being in time is to um, first diagnose uh, an insufficiency in the history of ontology or the science of being as Heidegger has conceived it. Uh, And a big part of that insufficiency rests in the fact that ontology has been understood in terms of the specific commitments maintained by metaphysics. Um, One of the features that Heidegger is especially concerned with is the fact that metaphysics as a science is incapable of providing a sufficient account of its own ground. In other words, it, uh, metaphysics as a, as a science is unable to explain how it itself is possible. And part of the reason is because the conceptual framework that it's working with is unable to grasp um, the uh, the features that, I, that Heidegger really ends up trying to isolate there. Mm. So the task then is to try to produce a new ontology or right, a new theory of being and the and consequently of of the nature of beings that actually has the proper ground that's necessary for um, for being more sufficient and the main argument that governs the first uh, several sections of the book is that uh, that ground that condition of possibility for doing any ontology isn't um, some abstract principle. It isn't some logical law. It isn't some um, strange metaphysical entity. What it is, is the human being themselves. Mm-hmm. And the fact, uh, the idea here isn't that uh, a human being is some kind of um, unique in the universe entity. This could be an intelligent alien. It could, right, if dolphins were really, really smart, then uh, uh, dolphins could be this type of an entity too. Mm-hmm. What's important is the fact that human beings. Are things that exist, and think about and understand that don't exist, that that existence itself.
0: Yes, they're the we're the beings who pose the question of being. Yeah, exactly. And so we become the point of access.
1: Yeah, precisely. Right. So, uh, so Heidegger calls these things that we are each Dasein. Um, famously, one of his his uh, the terms that he chooses to use for human existence, and the defining feature of Dasein is our ability to. Uh, simultaneously exist and understand and think about that existence. That means that uh, if we're going to try to do the project of of ontology, um, we're able to solve a big problem that has sort of uh, plagued, I guess you could say, metaphysics for several hundred years. And that's the problem of representation. In other words, um, Historically speaking, most of our frameworks, for trying to think about the basic features of reality have operated on the presupposition that what's going on inside of our minds where we understand stuff, right, is separated and uh, divorced from reality. In other words, the stuff that we're trying to understand. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that if we ever want to have a good account or a good theory of reality or what Heidegger calls being in, in this case... Um, What we have to do is we have to bridge that gap between the mind and the object or the things that we're trying to think about. And there are lots and lots of different theories that try to do that with greater and lesser success. Um, Part of Heidegger's argument is that none of those are successful because what ends up happening is we always end up with a, a distance between the concept that we have of something and the thing that it's a concept of. Mm-hmm. Right, so what the what Heidegger's uh, uh, proposal that uh, that Dasein or human existence is the condition for the possibility of any ontology or metaphysical project whatsoever is that um, human existence constitutes a, a type of existence that is simultaneously the thing that's doing the thinking and what is being thought about. Right, so. Since our minds are aware of their own existence, when we're thinking about the existence of our own minds, they have a direct access to the subject matter that they're inquiring into. So this solves the big project or the big problem, and then, um, uh, uh, and then that frames the methodology that the rest of Being in Time uses, which is what Heidegger calls the existential analytic of Dasein. And what that means is, if Dasein is the condition for the possibility of doing ontology, um, and it is so in exactly the way that I I just sort of laid out, then the project of doing doing ontology is a science of the existence of Dasein, and it's not me doing a, a science of your existence or or you doing a science of somebody else's existence. It's always me doing a science of my own existence from the first person perspective, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what gives us access to um, the, the needed ontological features that we want to describe. Mm-hmm. So the rest of being in time then follows out with that methodological um, project and takes us through a whole series of different um, important concepts that Heidegger brings
0: up. Excellent. Yes, it- The way you put it, actually, uh, in the second chapter of your book, is that being in time establishes a methodological imminence. Yeah. And you write that this marks a transformation of the question of being from a state of alienated abstractness into a structure of the very flesh of existence. Right. And so there's a coincidence here of the question of being and the questioner. Mm -hmm. And you write also that the very asking of the question is its mode of being. Yeah. So that mode of being, uh, prior to the rupture, is encapsulated in the 10 characteristics of metaphysics. And so let's go through those characteristics now, uh, since I think they're going to, they'll give us an idea of how Heidegger thinks human existence has been determined by metaphysics and what the significance will be of creating a rupture with this framework. You have here uh, ten characteristics uh, of metaphysics or commitments defining metaphysics. The first one is that uh, metaphysics is oriented by the question of beings as beings, which Heidegger argues Aristotle articulated in its most general form as the question "What are beings?" As you uh, brought up earlier, so could you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So um, so one of the Basic innovations and are, and claims that Heidegger argues uh for in being and time is the idea that there's a distinction between being and beings now um what uh, what that means is that when we ask the question of being, we're not talking about trying to inquire into any um, uh, any subdivision of beings we're talking about what is what does it mean to exist at all mm-hmm. right um now, um, insofar as uh, Heidegger interprets Aristotle as uh, having defined his own program largely through the question of what beings are as beings, rather than the question of what being is or what the being of beings is, mm-hmm. Heidegger argues that there's been an eclipse of one of those two really important things, namely of being itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that the philosophical science that's been governed by that orientation to thinking has been focusing on trying to explain beings in terms of what he, what Heidegger calls their Zeynheit, which is their beingness, which basically means um, the characteristics that define them as a being, rather than in terms of the characteristics of the being of those beings, right? So, uh, so this is a right a, a basic moment of Theoretical eclipse that Heidegger
0: identifies uh, within Aristotle's work. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, w- mm-hmm. what would be like a, a consequence for, say, the understanding of what a human being is mm-hmm. within yep. this metaphysical framework?
1: Sure. So, um, so we we might uh, take a human being to be, for example, a purely biological entity. Uh, I think that even though—so one, one critical point that I would raise against Heidegger is that he doesn't do a very good job of understanding the uh, importance of sciences like biology. But one of the important insights that I think he does have is that a biological account of the human being is never going to be sufficient. It's not because there's some kind of strange supernatural aspect to human beings like souls or something. It's the fact that biology doesn't account for this special feature, the special ontological feature that human beings have, which is the fact that they exist and understand and think about that that existence as part of what defines them. So part of the the issue then is that a theory of human beings that's based on Aristotle's orientation to this uh, uh, via this question is going to end up giving us. An interesting, but an insufficient account of human uh, existence or of a human being. Mm-hmm. And Heidegger wants to augment that by doing his project of fundamental
0: ontology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Heidegger would, would say it's a derivative account. Yeah, and what exactly. he's after is a yeah. primordial account. Yeah, exactly.
1: Right. So it's not that there's something wrong with biology. It's just that it's a derivative level of inquiry in relation to um, to the ontological level of inquiry. Why? Because biology presupposes answers to the question of the nature of the being of the beings that it investigates, but doesn't actually investigate the nature of that being. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas fundamental ontology does.
0: Mm -hmm. And being uh, confined to this derivative framework results in a kind of alienation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The second one here that you you bring up, the second uh, defining commitment of metaphysics, uh, understands being in terms of the temporal frame of presence. Mm-hmm. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, so uh, so this goes again back to Aristotle, uh, especially although roots do extend to Plato. Uh, the basic idea here is that when, um, uh, as the majority, well, in Heidegger's mind, right? and And it might be argued that Heidegger got things wrong, but in Heidegger's mind, Uh, If we look at the history of Western philosophy, one of the defining features up until he thinks roughly himself is that uh, we have understood time in a way that gives preference to this, to the temporal dimension of presence over future and past. What that means is that when we think about and try to answer the question that we were just talking about a second ago, what is a being or what are beings as beings? We understand and, and we understand them and answer that question in terms of their nature within a framework of presence. Now that's great and everything, but what it does, according to Heidegger, is it eclipses or, or uh, uh, obscures features of the being of beings that are temporally distended, in other words, that are drawn out into a future and into a past. And that means, right, if we're trying to give an account of uh, of beings in general or, or any specific subclass of beings, then uh, we're going to end up with insufficient accounts again because of this commitment uh, that uh, artificially excludes certain temporal features of the things that we're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. So we got the um, question of what is being, what are beings? Uh- Aristotle's asking after the beings, uh, asking the question of uh, beings as beings. And then we have the temporal frame of presence. Yeah. And the third item you have here is that metaphysics conceives of beings of as fully determinate or objectively present and self-identical through time.
1: Yeah. So this, again, builds on the question immediately previous, right? Here, one of the basic uh, features of most metaphysical systems, according to Heidegger, is that when they ask the question of beings as beings, um, and they interpret them within, with a preference for the, the time determination of presence, mm-hmm. that means that they understand those beings to be things that are fully determined in their presence, right? Uh, in other words, they're not somewhat indeterminate insofar as they might be ex- have, have aspects of their existence that is distended into a future and into a past. They're like little bubbles that are fully determinate in a present moment. And what that means is that we understand uh, reality in terms of these you know, um, uh, self-identical right, bubbles, if you want to use that metaphor here. Uh, now, if that's the case, then one of the uh, uh core features of this type of a view is that those bubbles will end up being identical with themselves through time rather than evolving or transforming or being distended or self-disrupting through time. Right.
0: Um and maybe they'll also be conceived as substances. Yeah, exactly. Self-identical substances to yeah. which we attribute certain qualities or yeah. predicates.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this is the right this is a metaphysical commitment that's um that largely is presupposed by and supports the idea of the um, the idea that when we're talking about some being, that being functions as a as subject that's capable of um, of bearing predicates or of bearing attributes, and that that gets right re- that of course gets reflected in our in our basic grammatical um, framework for describing reality, right where we think that if we're going to say anything at all, we have to begin by uh, right, any sentence that we build is always going to begin with a, a subject and a predicate. Right, mm-hmm. that model of grammar then is, of course, uh, for Heidegger uh, based upon or reflective of this uh, metaphysical commitment to presence
0: and uh, self-identity through time, mm-hmm. which he thinks is very problematic. Mm-hmm. And Nietzsche actually gets at this before Heidegger Mm -hmm. when he talks about lightning. He says lightning, among other things, but one example he gives is lightning flashes. But what is this lightning that we reify into a grammatical subject? It flashes. And there's no way to suss out what it is uh, and what flashing is. Right. And so this part of what we're going to uh, get to here uh, is Heidegger's radical critique of metaphysics, will ultimately end up in a ontology of events where events are taken to be prior to substances. Yeah, exactly. And to be prior to anything identical or self-identical. Yeah. But before we, but, so as not to get ahead of ourselves, we're, let's take a look here at number four, the uh, fourth characteristic of metaphysics. Is that metaphysics understands being on the basis of characteristics attributed to beings, and we sort of already talked about this a, a little bit?
1: Yeah, uh, the basic idea here is that if our basic orientation towards uh, towards philosophy and towards our inquiry into the rest of reality is inquiring into into the nature of beings as beings, then. We're inclined to, if, if the question of being does arise, we're inclined to give answers to it that focus on the features of beings as beings that we've been able to discern already. So when we ask the question of being within a metaphysical framework, one of the things that we uh, become susceptible to is reading characteristics of beings as if they were characteristics of being itself, mm-hmm. right? And this is a, a, um, a mistake, according to Heidegger.
0: You know, it might be a fun uh, drinking game for our listeners to yeah. get some <laughs> get, get some of your favorite drinks and uh, have take a drink every time the word bean is mentioned in this podcast. Yeah,
1: this is one of the things that um, that uh, drives me crazy about Heidegger' discourse, but it's a technical term that's really important for making sense of the um, philosophical um, problematic that he's really. Concerned with working on
0: absolutely, and it's an important part of philosophy. Philosophy is characterized largely, not exclusively, but largely by ontology, the study of being. Yeah, and so we wouldn't be doing a proper philosophical podcast if we didn't uh, do some ontology. Yeah,
1: another word for beings would be entities, and that could be something that uh, right to uh, to kind of help clarify that concept
0: for. Mm -hmm. But talking about entities wouldn't get us to the question of the being of beings. Not so easily. Yeah. Unless we talk about the particular entity that is the human being. Right. Yeah. All right. Number five. uh, The fifth characteristic of metaphysics is that it posits an ultimate foundation. So just like to, to back up against we're halfway through the list here. Um... Metaphysics asks the question, what are beings? It operates within the temporal frame of presence. It conceives as beings as being self-identical through time. And it understands them on the basis of characteristics that we attribute to them. And finally, it posits, an, or fifthly, it posits an ultimate foundation.
1: Yeah. So, um, So if we ask the question of what beings are as beings and we answer in terms of the time determination of presence, when we start to ask big questions about the overall overarching nature of reality, we're already carrying a conceptual predilection to answer that in terms of things that have a full time determination of presence and that are metaphysically determinate in the same kind of self-identical sense that we've been talking about. Uh, Now, what that means is right there are a variety of different answers to uh um to you know the big questions of reality but one of the things that uh that we oftentimes do is we posit the existence of some kind of ultimate foundation or substratum that allows the rest of reality to function uh for example uh god is one one example of this type of a concept right as a self-identical entity that forms the genetic basis for all of reality
0: mm-hmm. um genetic basis in the sense of generative basis. generative basis mm-hmm. yeah in that
1: kind of a sense i don't mean biologically yeah um and uh a part of the feature part of the problematic feature of such a, a hypothesis for heidegger is going to be that if we posit such an absolute foundation what we're doing is we're eliminating what he thinks is a fundamentally self-problematizing structure that characterizes being itself. Mm -hmm. In other words, if we posit an absolute foundation for everything that is, then we're acting as if reality is fully stable when in fact reality is uh, Mm -hmm. self-disrupting or has a structure of self-disruption.
0: Yes, and that's a part of the... You mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that your book is... Heidegger's ontology of events in the plural, and there are two main senses of event, the historical, which we've so far mainly been covering, uh, that is the rupture in metaphysics. Mm-hmm. We're now talking about what that metaphysics is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but the, the other sense is um, what you mentioned just now, that being is sort of self-disruptive. Yeah. Yeah. And so the eventive or the evental character of being is precisely this uh, inherent instability, this tendency of being, uh, of, of disrupting itself. And we're going to get to that uh, again soon. But let's, uh, let's keep marching through these 10 characters. I think it's really useful to, to look at them all to get uh, as complete a picture as we can of uh, what we need to create a rupture in. So the sixth one here is that metaphysics conceives of the world as a universe or, or totality of things that are.
1: Yeah. So if uh right, if we backtrack through the steps that we've taken so far, um, right, if we understand beings to be fully present uh objects or fully present entities that are uh not temporally distended, but that are self-identical through time, um and so on, then um if we want right if we want to try to answer some of those big questions of metaphysics like about the totality of reality suddenly we have a conceptual mechanism that's available to answer that type of question by saying well what reality is is the collection of all the self-identical entities that exist at any given moment for example mm-hmm. right um now again here we have yeah uh we have a a picture of reality that's Um, Sure, allows for locomotion, for example, or movement from place, from location to location within a a frame of time uh, and space, for example. But uh, we basically have a picture of reality as fully or largely stable insofar as the things that are existing in reality, yeah, they come into existence, they go out of existence, but. They're self-identical through time, and we can give an account, at least theoretically, or at least in principle, of the totality of reality, because the totality of reality, first of all, is something that is, and second of all, is composed of all the different specific, fully determined entities that, uh, um, that exist
0: at any moment. Excellent. And the seventh one here, I think this one is... Pretty interesting. Metaphysics conceives of reality or actuality as something thoroughly calculable mm-hmm. or measurable by the mathematical sciences.
1: So if reality is going to be fully determinate in the senses that we've talked about already, then um, right, one, of the, one of the important innovations, I think, of early modern uh, philosophy, natural philosophy and, and metaphysics... Um, and a feature that I think that Heidegger really did, did not recognize the full uh, importance and interesting, right, why this is such an important and interesting uh, thing. Right? One of the things that early modern metaphysics does and, and early modern natural, uh, natural philosophy does is it starts to think of reality as, at least in principle, calculable and understandable in terms of the mathematical sciences. Now, maybe our sciences aren't up to speed yet, and we've got to develop them better in order to give a proper account of everything, but the basic commitment is that everything that exists is, at least in principle, accountable for in terms of mathematical um, our mathematical sciences. What that means is that they're measurable, they're fully determinate and fully measurable, and that entails the idea that their um, reality is fully articulable, doesn't have elements that are uh, self-problematizing and that would, right, by, the very, by the nature of their own very logic, escape the process of measurability, right?
0: And this would be reflected in the attitude that uh, maybe some scientists, I, I'm sure not all, probably not most scientists, but probably some scientists would uh, take that given enough time, we could in theory understand everything in the universe. Yeah, exactly. But these uh, methods of measurement, they're all, um, they're all bound up with these assumptions of the metaphysical framework that Heidegger is going to critique and create a rupture in. Now he's going to do that again by starting out with uh, the question of questioning the being who raises the question of being. So his point of access is going to be through that being. that. It's self-problematizing and raises the question of being. He'll recognize that the mathematical sciences, with their calculations and their measures, are also engaging in a, a certain point of access into being. Yeah. But for him, this is a derivative uh, point of access or access practices, we could call them. Um, what's the difference between these derivative access practices and the um, and the existential analytic? approach that he takes in being in time.
1: Yeah, there are a couple of different ways that you could answer this kind of a question. And um, one of them is that, uh, according to Heidegger, the metaphysical or scientific uh, approaches are going to be understanding the specific domain of beings that they're inquiring into um, in a way that bears certain presuppositions about the nature of being that those beings have. Mm -hmm. Which we've been talking about. Which we've been talking Mm -hmm. about, yeah. So, um, so that isn't to say that an inquiry into, say, the domain of physical objects—in other words, what physics does—or the domain of uh, psychological objects—in other words, what the science of psychology does—or you know, or whatever—isn't um, interesting and productive. Uh, and it's
0: not false.
1: It's not false, right? The 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 claim for Heidegger is that it's just operating on the on the basis of presupposed grounds, methodological. And, uh, and metaphysical and, um, and otherwise grounds that make that type of scientific inquiry possible, but that type of scientific inquiry isn't asking the question of those grounds themselves. And that's exactly what fundamental ontology does. It asks the question, what's the nature of those grounds that supports these other uh, approaches to thinking about beings?
0: Excellent. And we have three more uh, characteristics. Of metaphysics here, and let's just um, name these all at once, and I'll let you uh, make some comments that, that you think maybe are most relevant before we move on. But 8, 9, and 10 are metaphysics conceives the human being as subject. It conceives of thought as representation. You did mention some things about representation already. Mm-hmm. And finally, 10, it understands truth to be correspondence or, or certainty
1: yeah sure so uh so these are all again interrelated and um the conception of the human being as a subject is a quasi product of the inclination to think about beings in terms of the time determination of presence and the uh model of subject predication right so uh so if we think about uh, what a human being is as a thing that's self-identical through time, such that a modification of its existence is simply a change in the attributes that are predicated of it or the predicates that are predicated of it, then we have, um, or we have a, a basic view of humanity, or not of humanity, but of the human human being themselves, that um, can account for a lot of things, but can't account for everything, according to Heidegger, right? Now, if we take that concept of a, of a, the human being as a subject, and we look at the way that a subject thinks about reality, we're thinking about a subject that is, in one form or another, uh, has a, right the cognitive processes and cognitive apparatus belonging to that subject are internal to it, whereas the things that it thinks about are largely external to that cognitive apparatus. Mm-hmm. And this poses the problem of representation mm-hmm. that we were talking about earlier. Yes, right. The divide or
0: divorce the gap that exists. Yeah,
1: the divide. Yeah, exactly. So then, uh, one of the problems uh, that arises is, is, of course, well, how do we know when our judgments inside of our mind actually measure up with reality outside of our mind? Mm-hmm. And to a different way of saying that is, how do we understand when we have true judgments as opposed to false judgments? Mm-hmm. Now. Um, Right. One of the uh, most uh, prominent theories of how that is supposed to uh, be is by thinking that we have this kind of truth when there's an adequation Mm -hmm. or a correspondence Mm -hmm. um, that represents those things outside of our mind with certainty, um, but represents them, of course, inside of our mind. right? Right. But this presupposes that we can get access in the proper way to those things. Outside of our mind. And this is where the big problem of representationalism lies. That right? problem of access. Yeah, the problem of
0: access. Yeah. Well, it's a microphone in front of me. Yeah. I know it's a microphone. You confirm it's a microphone. Yeah. But um, philosophy can work its way into the neurosis of actually not being so sure that it's a microphone. In fact, there's yeah. a. Uh, deep, insurmountable divide between what I represented to myself and what it actually is, the thing in itself, to use Kant's language. Yeah, exactly.
1: So uh, one other thing just to emphasize is, or to point out, rather, is, to, is that this is a list of 10 fundamental commitments that metaphysics has, according to Heidegger. We could expand this list, um, but these are uh, 10 of the really central ones.
0: And you write that uh, Dasein, a human being, exists as metaphysical, in Heidegger's view. It exists as alienated from itself. So insofar Mm -hmm. as this metaphysical framework frames our existence, not just our philosophy, but permeates all of existence, uh, this leaves us in a state of alienation. We've talked a little bit about alienation what would be your sort of summary statement of what it means in Heidegger? Because we hear this term alienation with with respect to political economy, say Marxism, yeah, right. Hegel. Uh-huh. But what about for Heidegger? What does this term uh, mean for Heidegger?
1: So alienation is a, an adaptation that I, a term that's, that I use to, uh, adapted to Heidegger to describe uh, what he, at least in the context of being in time, largely describes in terms of inauthenticity. Um, but I think that alienation captures the concept of inauthenticity or features of that concept in, in important ways and goes in, in other ways, kind of beyond what inauthenticity really describes, uh, for Heidegger in the con- in being in time, right. The central text of his early work, um, right. Alienation, the, the alienation characterizing Dasein or human existence is an alienation, first of all, from itself. And second, second of all, um, and in turn, from being. Now, what does it mean to be alienated from itself and alienated from being? Well, for Heidegger, we're alienated from ourselves insofar as we understand ourselves in terms of the framework of metaphysics that we've historically inherited just by default of having been born into this particular historical time period. Right. We've received this conceptual framework through the language or languages that we speak, through the cultural context that we live within, through the modes of technology that we engage with and mm-hmm.
0: so on. Our institutions, our institution, artifacts. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, and um, so part of the feature of our existence that's really important for understanding, like why this is an alienation, is the fact that we exist as understanding and as thinking about and interpreting our own existence that means when heidegger right when heidegger is is talking about us existing as um as metaphysical he's not saying that we actually are a metaphysical entity like a substance or a subject what he's saying is that the horizon of our understanding for ourselves is governed by or defined by an understanding, uh, or that concept of a substance, or a subject, or another uh, other elements of the metaphysical framework that we're talking about here. What that means is that that horizon is a false horizon, right? That horizon doesn't actually recognize and um, it, it, right, it's it's not in line with what I actually am. For example. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's an alienation insofar as it's all right, it's a state of my existence in which that state is constituted by an obscuration or a, uh, a distortion of uh, the more profound ontological features of my existence that are you know the ground of these other
0: aspects. So it's a pretty profound uh State of alienation, her sense of the word alienation that Heidegger is using, which is why in the opening of this uh, episode I talked about the philosophical revolution, yeah, and how what kind of far-reaching consequences could a a philosophical revolution, in the sense of an historical event of rupture within metaphysics, yeah, gives rise to a new understanding of being, a new beginning of thought, Mm -hmm. uh, could could be um something even more consequential than say a political revolution
1: to to be clear for me i think that a political uh right the political revolution or political uh change and social change and material change and economic change are are necessary extensions that have to be added on to heidegger's um ontological um uh analysis here uh, I think that he he provides a framework that can be open to those things, but I don't think that he gives us a sufficient account of how that all needs to play out, and I think that we need to build on that in order to really do it. I do think, though, that the ontological foundation for understanding those things, at least within Heidegger's system, is found in right, mm-hmm. his analysis of, um, first of all, human existence in being in time, and second of all, um, the historical field that we exist within and, uh, in his later work, um, and the concept of event that uh, that the rest of the book is about.
0: Yes, he doesn't give us a, a sufficient or really any kind of philosophical account for how to link up politics, say, with... Um,
1: he does a pretty poor job of doing that, yeah.
0: So when it comes to the question of being, metaphysics ultimately is a flawed mode of inquiry. Mm-hmm. But ontology is sort of something different than metaphysics in Heidegger's use of these terms, isn't it? And uh, doing fundamental ontology via the existential analytic of human beings is actually an important step towards remedying our state of historical errancy and alienation. Fundamental ontology or the existential analytic of Dasein is what he names his project in Being in Time, that early work of 1927. However, he moves away from fundamental ontology. He ultimately sees it as not adequate. And he moves instead towards a project of thinking being not via the being of the being who poses the question of being, that's three drinks or four, (laughs) but rather uh, thinking being on its own terms. Uh, You write, glossing Heidegger, that ontology must render an account of being in being's own terms. So Heidegger moves to rethink being and uh, he moves to rethink being in terms of ontological structures more originary. Than human existence, and these more originary structures turn out to be what ground the very possibility of human existence. So it is precisely in this context uh, that Heidegger, you write, begins to develop his account of being as event, which is something that's going to undermine the, metaf- uh, the the framework of metaphysics. Right.
1: Yeah, so uh so I think that right the the methodology that he proposes in being in time which functions through the existential analysis of Dasein, right, sets up the project that will end up being carried through later on in his in his uh uh in his work after the late 20s. Uh, I don't think, right, there's one view, which is that there's a basic rupture, uh, and he rejects his earlier work and proposes an entirely different type of approach to philosophy, and I think this is incorrect, and a lot of other uh, folks think uh, seem to agree with that. Um, my basic interpretation and my basic view uh, on this matter is that Heidegger implements a, the methodology that we've been talking about in Being and Time, and that methodology is a progressive methodology that produces more and more profound horizons for thinking about being and understanding the nature of being and our own existence as you move forward with the project. And eventually that progression or that evolution moves beyond the methodological horizon that's available within being in time. And that move beyond being in time is going to be moving to uh, um, an analysis of grounds or of ontological structures that are prior to human existence that enable human existence to be at all, um, and that in lots of interesting ways constitute uh, different forms of, uh, of alienation in our historical period, but that also uh, hold the possibility for uh, remedying that type of alienation uh, to whatever degree possible through... Um, further philosophical inquiry, right? Uh, Which is what I think a lot of the later work does.
0: Mm -hmm. And you set up, or you provide in your book, a criterion of radical critique, which is uh, a criterion that you argue should be satisfied by any ontology. Yeah. And you actually get this criteria from Deleuze, you write, but you apply it to, and you see Heidegger, especially in his later work, as satisfying this criterion.
1: Yeah, so, uh, so the criteria of radic- or the criterion of radical critique that I am interested in is, uh, I think that any ontology, if it's going to be a sufficient ontology, is going to have to uh, or not just give us a better account of reality or of being, which would be its core task, um, where it's simultaneously critical of previous accounts um, or of derivative structures of, of reality or of being it's also got to be able to give us an account of the genesis uh, of those more derivative features or more derivative accounts of existence or of being, right? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, right. in other words, if you give an ontology that that gives an account in which there's no account of distortion, you don't have a sufficient ontology because clearly distortion exists Mm -hmm. as exemplified by other types of accounts that don't um, actually uh, explain the the conditions of possibility or the ground for doing ontology mm-hmm. um, uh, as Heidegger tries to do it through fundamental ontology and then through the concept of event later on. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the cr- criterion of radical critique is one that I think should be applied to Heidegger, so- though Heidegger himself doesn't really um, uh, uh, use an equivalent so much, uh, but it's one that I think right? If Heidegger's ontology will continue to be relevant and useful and provocative and important for us in the 21st century, uh, we should have this critical edge on it that we get from the idea of a, ra- of a radical critique.
0: Mm-hmm. And the upshot of a radical, uh, a radical critique would constitute, you write, uh, a fundamental transformation or reappropriation of metaphysics on proper ontological grounds. And so metaphysics isn't to be altogether done away with. In fact, Heidegger ultimately ends up engaging in a kind of experimental metaphysics. And that's what I chose for the title of this podcast. So against readings of Heidegger that see him as sort of retreating into mystical obscurity in his later years, and I was, we were talking before we started recording about how I sort of, um, was, you know, at a certain time gave up on Heidegger because I, I saw him as, exactly retreating into this obscure mystical kind of view of, uh, of um, being as, you know, ultimately coming to save the day or not. And you insist, in contrast to that, uh, that Heidegger provides a lasting, you say, rigorous and constructive conceptual experimentalism. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you mean by Heidegger's experimentalism and how do you see his thought as experimental?
1: So I think that Heidegger Heidegger uh doesn't characterize his own thought in this way but I think that Heidegger's uh methodology entails uh a conceptual experimentalism in um I would sa- say two well I would say that it, it entails uh conceptual experimentalism in one sense and it uh it offers the possibility for us to do a type of conceptual experimentalism in a second sense. In the first sense, right, Heidegger is famous for having said that if we're going to do um, ontology, given the fact that we exist within the uh, metaphysical horizon that we've inherited historically, our ontological project necessarily entails a destruction or a deconstruction of the metaphysical concepts that are governing our thought and our practical um, Uh, day-to-day modes of existing. Uh, And most scholarship, historically speaking, when talking about Heidegger's methodology, has really emphasized this destructive or deconstructive element. I think that it's super important, Mm -hmm. but I think that if we look at how Heidegger's methodology functions, there's another aspect that has to be taken into account, and that's the first sense of conceptual experimentalism that I've I've got going on there. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, Heidegger's methodology moves... Uh, the way that his methodology functions is by uh, inquiring into some subject matter, for example, the nature of human existence, uh, identifying basic problems in that subject matter that haven't been accounted for in the existing philosophical sciences we have available, and then inquiring into in, using those problems to inquire deeper into the ground of whatever that subject matter happens to be and if we can read right, uh, what he does is he tries to give an account of this more profound or more fundamental ground uh of uh of the features that have thus far been described in the sciences we have available um, and then rearticulating those um those accounts from that ground out basically now, uh in order to make that projective move, right, to move into a deeper ground for Heidegger, what I call a, a diagenic move, right, a move from a derivative level of ground to a more profound level of ground. Um not all he, he's not just doing a deconstructive project where he's like tearing apart idea uh, uh concepts and ideas to see what um what types of presuppo- presuppositions they have active in them, but he's also Um, hypothesizing, in a certain sort of a sense, concepts or accounts of the nature or structure of that ground that move beyond just the deconstructive methodology. Uh, And so, insofar as as his project moves from one ground to a deeper ground, to a deeper ground, to a deeper ground, ground, and so on, at each one of those movements, there's a mode of conceptual experimentalism that's going hand-in-hand with the deconstructive methodology that's active because we're doing our best to try to give an account of that we recognize that our concepts are in a certain sense carrying problems that they've inherited from the history of metaphysics but we're willing to uh, to do an adventure of thinking right where we hi- where we propose concepts to try to articulate that ground and maybe we get it more right than we did beforehand um uh, and so we work out an ontology that's never going to be fully complete. It's always going to be an ontology that's methodologically in progress or uh, or evolving, um but that involves this type of conceptually experimental hypothesis. Then the second mode of uh, experimental conceptualism that I think we can talk about here is one that Heidegger oftentimes pays lip service to, but never really, in my view, carries out in any uh, satisfying manner. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea that um, once we're able to give an account of some of the most, you know, fundamental features of being, Mm -hmm. right. uh, Or uh, said differently of the, some of the most profound or deep, uh, structures of ground that enable human, ex- not only human existence, but worlds of beings uh, broader set, more broadly said to exist at all. Once we can give an account of some of those more profound grounds through his uh, diagenic methodology, then uh, what we can do is we can retract back out from that ground and we can give a, a more sufficient account of the nature of beings right in other words we can do the project that aristotle framed as meta, uh, to be metaphysics mm-hmm. right the question uh, the project of answering the question what are beings as beings but now we can do so on proper ontological grounds mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that don't carry the insufficiencies that that the metaphysical sciences we've had available so far have carried with them that'll be experimental again right because now we're we're moving from a ground um, outward and giving uh, accounts of of beings, where our accounts of beings will ha- will have both a systematic grounding in in uh, in the nature of being or the logic of being that we've articulated, but we can also right uh, run that against the empirical observations we make of how beings actually are to make sure that our systematic ontological account actually is matching up with the empirical observations that we see if we look around in the world.
0: Now, part of the reason why I chose the title Experimental Metaphysics, or seized on this, uh, as the title of this podcast, this is Philosophy for the People, and part of why uh, I wanted to start this podcast is because to the extent that philosophy remains captive to an academic mode of philosophizing, I I think we'll be stuck in the kind of framework uh, that, uh, in in a kind of framework that won't ultimately get us anywhere. To create a rupture in that framework is why this podcast exists. And so I want to encourage listeners, and and part of what I want to do here on this podcast, is to engage in a type of experimental metaphysics. Now, I don't know if what I'm going to get at here is uh, reflected in what you just detailed about uh, your, your idea in relation to Heidegger of experimental metaphysics. What comes to mind for me is in Heideggerian terms, um, developing creative modes of access, access practices to those deeper levels of being that yeah. gives us um, insight yeah. that we can't otherwise get if we continue to philosophize in the same academic modality. And so Heidegger makes, uh, talks about uh, Heidegger's m- mode of, um, Experimenting or going on an adventure of thinking can be very poetic. And he talks about the importance of poetic thinking and language and art. Yeah, sure. How does that figure into pro- a project of um, a kind of experimental metaphysics?
1: Yeah, well, um, so part of Heidegger's argument entails the idea that when we talk about thinking, um, Yes, the the modes of thinking that we do in mathematical sciences is really important and great, although he doesn't seem to think it's super great, uh, but I think that it's consistent to say that it's great. Um, Right, but there are modes of thinking that move beyond just sort of that type of calculative um, method or that kind of calculative way of doing it. Uh, And some of the... Specific examples that he likes to go to are examples of poets or examples of artists who are able to, somehow or another, through their poetic process or practice or through their artistic process or practice, they're able to articulate some feature or some aspect of the nature of being or the nature of human existence in a way that, uh, that we haven't been able to do so uh, very successfully prior uh, in prior work or what else they might be doing is capturing some uh, some feature of being in a way that that emphasizes it to us or keeps it present for us so that we don't lose track of it and become alienated from it again right So this means that poetry and art can have really really important, Uh, roles to play in the overall project of um, of ontology as Heidegger sets it up here. It doesn't have to be something that is just done by, you know, academic philosophers and philosophy departments at universities, Mm -hmm. right? This is something that artistic practice, poetic practice, uh, and various other types of practice can indeed have access to. And really one of the things that I think is... um, when I first started reading Heidegger, one, uh, one of the things that really struck me and that I thought was really appealing about his, uh, his theories, his work, is the idea that um, the whole pros- project of fundamental ontology, since it's grounded in being and time in human existence, and that ground isn't human existence in general or an abstract concept of human existence, but the actual existing human being— That means that every single actually existing human being is capable of and has the, and constitutes the ground for doing the project of fundamental ontology for Mm themselves, Right. And and that means that just the, right. The the move of turning our minds to start to think about our own existence and about our own being right in a, um, in a measured and careful um, and, Uh, and reflective sort of way means that we step into the project of what philosophy does uh,
0: um, as this theory lays it out. Excellent. So doing ontology, and any one of us can do ontology in this sense, uh, is to undergo an existential transformation such that our being becomes realigned with being in a way that is ultimately less alienated. And this could take many different forms. This is something I want the listeners to take away from this, that it could take the form of, um, of a, a poetics uh, of, um, well, as Nietzsche says, the philosophers of the future will be poets and artists. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think... Um, and philo- well, maybe Nietzsche doesn't think this, but and philosophers, I would say. And, <laughs> and philosophers. The philosophers
1: of the future will also be philosophers.
0: Yes. Yes. So there are many different ways of doing ontology, and of getting at the profundities of what it means to be a human being and of expressing that in such a way that um, we can create an opening for ourselves and in the world and bring about of that kind of revolution. But that brings me to the million dollar question Mm -hmm. that I wanted to ask before uh, we close up here. And that is the question, has an historical event been accomplished? Uh, has there been a transformative rupture in the historical framework of metaphysics?
1: Yeah, great question. And I don't know if I can give a definitive answer to that because it's a matter of enormous debate, right? Um, Heidegger seems inclined to think that, uh, that not only has this type of an event not occurred, even though his entire, right, his entire later career is um, centered around trying to accomplish this type of an event, uh, but he also seems to think that any... right. What I mean to say here is Heidegger, Martin Heidegger, the guy who existed and died and, right, seems to have thought that we never actually have successfully uh, broken free of the metaphysical framework that we've inherited. When did Heidegger die, by the way? 1976. Wow, that's later than I thought. Yeah. So... um, in the way that he spoke about this problem, he's, it was suggested, right, it suggests that even today in the early 21st century, right, we're still within this problematic metaphysical uh, horizon. Now, I think that potentially, well, I can say a couple of comments here. I think, first of all, Heidegger probably was more successful in his work in bringing about this type of an, an event than he recognized. Uh, I think that we can make serious strides towards accomplishing the type of event that uh, that I'm at least discussing in the book, uh, in terms of Heidegger, right? An event in which we're able to uh, remedy certain forms of of alienation uh, that are active in our lives, um, and also I think that several post-Heideggerian philosophers who have kind of picked up and dramatically transformed. Uh, philosophy since then have made pretty major strides in this type of a project, right? Folks like uh, Gilles Deleuze or uh, Alain Badiou uh, and several others, right? So that's the kind of like broad view question I, or answer I think that I can give within the Heideggerian framework. The question will or the answer will have to be evaluated in terms of how well Heidegger's project Right, his, uh, the ontology that we're able to sort out from the works that we have available, in fact, disrupts and moves beyond the, his, the framework of metaphysics as he defines it. I think it does a better job than he thinks it does. Uh, I think there are still some things that have to be done. But that project is one right, that, within his own methodological uh, frame, right, is done through the project of ontology as he frames it moving into
0: uh, his later work. I tend to agree with you that something really important happens with Heidegger when Heidegger comes on the scene and that there is a, at least an opening or be, the beginnings of a rupture and that we do have, and in particular, I think Jill Deleuze uh, contributes a, a great deal in his philosophy. This is a topic for another podcast to, um, to furthering that uh that experimental metaphysics and creating a widening the rupture but i think that within that this space and it's a precious opening we have to sort of seize the moment mm-hmm. and um, that's what this podcast intends to do and i think your book is a great contribution to uh, a similar effort so that's heidegger's ontology of events by dr james baho dr baho thank you so much for being with us today yeah thanks so much really happy to be here If you enjoyed this discussion and would like to engage the topic in more depth, be sure to sign up for our free weekend seminar starting Saturday, September 5th. The seminar will be held online over a period of 14 weeks and is open to anyone. Just email philosophyforthepeople at gmail.com and you will be automatically registered to receive updates and weekly invitations to our online classroom. Again, that's starting September 5th. This has been a solid work production. Solid work. (laughs) Solid work. Uh, Solid work. Hey, solid work.